Hello and welcome to The Sunday Salon, a podcast celebrating brilliant books and the women who write them. My name is Alice Zania Jarvis and each week I chat to an inspiring female author about her work, her career, how she writes, what she reads and everything in between. I'm interested in the stories behind the stories and the joy that books can bring, no matter what genre or style. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, but for the best experience, I really recommend using the new app Entail, which will allow you to look at exclusive pictures as we talk, click on links, even shop the books featured. It's truly amazing. My guest this week is the ferociously clever, funny and creative Emily Hill, who crowdfunded the publication of her short story collection, Bad Romance, only for it to be met with rave reviews. She's now working on her second book, which will be her first novel. She's also a journalist and broadcaster for the likes of The Spectator, Sky News and The Evening Standard. Emily, welcome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Um, So as you know, I have so many questions for you. But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Bad Romance and why you decided to write it? Um, Well, Bad Romance is... there's. Originally, it had quotes at the beginning of every um, little story. Um, But one of them was Pablo Picasso's, um, I don't know where he said this, but apparently he said that there are two types of women, goddesses and doormats. And in my, obviously, I don't subscribe to that myself, necessarily. (laughs) But um, I think in my life, I have tended to be a doormat. And in my prose, hopefully I'm a goddess. Um, So basically, it's leaping off from points in my life little ideas have come to me and, and so forth and whereas in my life I've just sort of rolled over and had somebody wipe their feet on me um my goddesses kind of take revenge and it's it all gets it's all kind of supposed to be very darkly you're supposed to laugh you're supposed to laugh and but I have been told also it's very dark so it depends on your sense of humor hopefully if you're feeling like vicious towards an ex-boyfriend or something <laughs> or hopelessly, hopelessly miserable in the run-up to valentine's day or um, experiencing a little trouble in your life and would like to read some somebody else's life, which is going so much worse than yours, then mine is the book to pick up, I, th- I like to think. Okay, well, there you just said so many things that I want to follow up on. But before I do, um, just rewinding to your childhood, what was it that made you want to write? When did you get interested in words? Uh, I remember very clearly. It's it's not even writing. It's this it's this obsession with making people laugh, uh, mostly against their will. Um, my father was quite <laughs> an angry man, and I remember very clearly with a typewriter typing up this story about this um, princess called Bertha, whose father, the king, was pushing her on a swing, and he pushed her so hard he la- launched her into space. <laughs> and my father thought it was extremely funny, and. Uh, and it was just it was just such a beautiful feeling um and i've been addicted to that ever since and so you initially went into journalism um like me you were a gossip columnist yes. for for a while <laughs> how did you find that um well i think i've been sacked and failed at nearly every job i've ever had i think probably the on the londoner's diary was probably my career highlight in terms of running around london drinking champagne and meeting, meeting wonderful people like you <laughs> i um, might have to interrupt to say you haven't failed <laughs> I, I don't like interrupting but but i know you tend to self-deprecate a lot and you just definitely haven't failed so anyway but carry on carry i read on. somewhere once that i think it was anna winter who said this that um every journalist 
should be sacked at some point in their lives so i kind of take it as you know uh it's very sweet of you to say um that but i do feel like i've messed things up you know like whenever i sort of start doing well i sort of trip over on some kind of not even a hurdle it's just sort of you know on the carpet or something (laughs) and i'm flat on my face and everybody's like oh god why would we hire her and then uh, miraculously somebody else does and then i mess that up and then yeah, sort of, um, journalism is very chaotic. But um, yes, yeah, so I started out at, uh, I, I left university before I even uh, graduated. Like I didn't go to my, um, I didn't have my photo taken with a mortarboard or whatever, I just mm. left. Um, Where were you at university? Glasgow. And um, what did you study? I studied, well, I went, I went there because I wanted to do English and Russian. And then when I was there, I realized that I am tongue tied and was always going to speak Russian with a speech impediment. And also it was very, very hard. Um, So I decided I didn't, I I wasn't gonna do that. And then I just did English, but then I just basically took over the magazine and like just worked on that. And then won some prize money and uh, at the Scottish Student Media Awards and then used that 750 pounds, (laughs) absconded with the full amount um, and uh, used it to rent this tiny little room in Shadwell that had uh, bugs everywhere and used to overlook Watney Market. Um, So yeah, so I I moved to London on that, on that money and I used that to do uh, an internship at Days to Confused and then they were were great and then I started writing cult VIPs for them, like Mm. really beautiful cult figures like Annika Van, and Weldon Keys and um, Leonard Lewis, who was like the cultural minister of the Black Panthers. He was really cool. I mm. loved writing about him. And then got a job at uh, Spiked, and then then I got sacked there. And then I and then I was interviewing Toby Young of all people because it was How to Lose Friends and Alienate People had just come out in the in the in the cinemas. And so I I I contacted him because I'd written this article for the Guardian. I can't remember about being sacked right. and uh, and I posted it quoting something that Toby Young had said so anyway it's meeting with Toby Young and I think Toby Young gets a very bad press I feel so sorry for Toby Young whenever he sort of spectacularly offends everybody on earth um, but he was very kind and at the end of the interview he said oh um, what are you doing and I said well if there's one person in the world you can tell you've you've been sacked to it's Toby Young who's uh, you know how to lose and friends and alienate people is very funny about yeah. um you know his massive massive muck-ups in 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 New York and uh so I said oh well, I've just been sacked and he said oh do you know my friend Sebastian and of course I hadn't got a clue who his friend Sebastian was <laughs> um and uh, and that was Sebastian Shakespeare. He was the editor of the London's Diary. And then Matthew Bell, he's another friend of ours uh, now. And obviously at the time, didn't know him. Um, and he was leaving to go to The Independent to take over from Joy Ledeco, who's another person we know. It's really crazy. Like when you're starting out, you have no idea that in 10 years, you know, all these people become quite special to you. But at the time, they're just sort of these special names. And they all seemed impossibly glamorous and exciting and, you know... Anyway, and then so, and then, I, you know, I think we met at the top of the gherkin, didn't we, or something? Yeah, like I think like so. Random. Sort of yeah. sipping champagne at some strange lunch Never where we were lunch. trying to get yeah. tidbits for, <laughs> for gossip columns. Um, what was your most memorable encounter as a gossip columnist oh, or your best well, scoop? I had a wonderful one with John Prescott. And what happened was I went home to see, went home to see my, my, my grandma, um, who's very sort of... Uh, 
just she's just a very distinctive lady. I can't even describe her succinctly, so I won't try. But anyway, she said because she was a source of all the gossip. She should have been a gossip columnist, really. I should have we should have exchanged places. Um, but she said that John Prescott was gonna buy the house opposite her. Everybody knew this, and so I came back and finally I had a story because most of my stories were just completely useless and I came back oh John Prescott's going to to going to buy the house next to my granny and uh and so we printed it obviously and then while I was out at lunch he Prescott phoned up the evening standard in a complete rage sort of because he was never going to abandon Hull and how bloody dare we suggest he's gonna sort of namby-pamby plays like Blakeney, for God's sake, and then he starts sort of slagging off Norfolk, like nothing bloody good came out of Norfolk. <laughs> or the only bloody person from Norfolk is Oliver Cromwell, and of course Oliver Cromwell's from Cambridgeshire. So anyway, in the delightful way that uh, the diarists operate, um, my colleague James Hughes Onslow just sort of listened on the phone, wrote everything down, and then the next thing, obviously printed it all, you know, I think it was a minor story, and it became like the diary lead, like, Prescott insults people of Norfolk. <laughs> um, and then the next thing, it's in the EDP and it's everywhere. And like, you know, it blows up into this story. And there's, there's another girl going, goodness, I hear you were behind that story. And then sort of all of all of a sudden you become slightly famous to other people who have, you find out of later from Norfolk. So those were, those things were fun. They were fun. And then you went on to write a dating column for the Sunday Times Style what was that like? I mean, that's very soul-bearing. What was your experience of that? If women are affected by an issue, you never hear about it. Whereas if, a, if men are kind of, you know, facing problems in some way, then everybody knows about it. And so what I tried to do was just explain, like, what has happened to dating since the invention of dating apps. Because it's like, it's, a com- it's completely awful. I was trying to think of a new metaphor because I use this metaphor over and over again about how... Um, dating apps have done to romance what the machines did to humanity in Terminator 2. I mean, I, I still stand by that, but I'm thinking of, of other ones because I've, I've used that so much and people think I'm just being hysterical. And I was thinking it's basically like roulette. It's like roulette in a really seedy place that nobody really wants to hang out in. Um, and, the, and you're sort of just, you've got your pile of chips and you're really trying to kind of, you know, hit the jackpot, you know, like, hit red or whatever it's called um and that's love isn't it you toss your little ball and you, and you stake your little the, the ball goes and then the chips go on the thing mm. and it's like and it's really great to start with you you know you're, you're kind of in this seedy casino it's kind of slightly exciting and and you you've got your chips and then you think it's fun to bet so you put a little one on there and then you go round and then you lose and then and then you sort of do it again and again and again and again and again and then some like you get quite excited and you're thinking oh this is my time so you make a little pile of chips and then it's just this sort of experience of of feeling drunker and drunker and all your chips are being sort of swiped away and then you never hear from from any any of the other people who are also betting on this table and losing and then you run out of chips and the thing that I am facing at the minute is I'm going to give up because I can't stand it anymore my and 
everybody I know is giving up because they can't stand mm. it anymore. And so I wanted to kind of write about that, but obviously that's not very funny. That's kind of, again, a bit like my book, dark and twisted and sad, you know? <laughs> and it's funny if, you, if you, you've, you've got an alternative sense of humour. Speaking of your book, tell us a little bit about how you started that project and, and how on earth you sort of got an understanding for how to even write fiction, because coming from that journalistic background, it's really different. Well, I think most of my life, especially in journalism, um, what I used to enjoy most was actually the tube rides. And I shuttled all around London. So Mm. I've basically, I was moving about three times a year at one point because just renting rooms and then it go wrong. And there's all this sort of experience that lots of people who are struggling have. I've had all these hideous, hideous flat shares. I've had all these terrible relationships with men. I've never found love. Like whenever I thought I'd found it, it proved to be just, just the latest car crash um and what i loved through all of that probably the most which kept me carrying on was tube rides um and books and i just read and i read and i read and i read and i've always read and i loved reading and what i read was russians mainly and short stories in particular um i love I suppose I'm kind of like um, somebody who's really into their music and they listen to one artist. Like, I remember I did this, like, I discovered David Bowie because I loved Nirvana and Nirvana did the Unplugged and you. Mm. And then they did The Man Who Saw the World. And then so, and then from Bowie, you get, you go back and you kind of trace them back. And so I started with Bulgakov because I was in Russia um, for six months when I was 18. I, I really, I'm obsessed with Russia. I'm obsessed with Moscow. I love, I love Russians. I hate all the anti-Russian sentiment that's just everywhere. It really annoys me. And, um, so I read Bulgakov and I read, and then I just kind of back and back and back and back and back. And Mayakovsky and Shalomov and, and, and then I found Zoshenko, no, Zoshenko, I always pronounce his name wrong. And he, um, is this he was the most popular popular reader a popular writer in the whole of the soviet union and what he did was he basically sold millions Mm. in the soviet union millions doing these tiny little they're called scats they're not even short stories they're so short and they're funny but they're brutal and people loved him and it was because he just wrote story after story after story about how shit it was to live in the Soviet Union Mm. because it was, it was terrible. Like, you know, during setting up communism, it was, it was, it was a complete disaster. Nothing worked. Like, Loads of people have been killed in the Civil War. And, and the way you kind of had to share your flats and you had to, was it kind of exactly what I was going through? Because, you know, in Soviet Union, they would partition houses and cram people all together. And that's mm. what I was going through because I was crammed in these tiny little flats. I mean, like, I remember one flat I viewed that didn't I didn't, didn't get in the end. And it was like oh, 600 pounds a month or something. And this was like nearly 10, maybe 10 years ago. It was a place in Kennington and basically it was a room in in the loft of of this of this house that other people were living in and I'm obviously very short I'm barely five foot and I could only stand up in the center of the room and uh and then you just and and you had to get up to it via a ladder and there was this Mm. really sinister kind of insulation that kind of looked like it might have a bit of asbestos in it and you know, like, what would you do if you got up in the middle of the night and you'd had too much to drink? You'd just, like, you you could 
die falling down a ladder. And that wasn't even the worst place I saw. I mean, it's just like, and and that's how we live now. That's how so many of us live now. It, London is such a tough place to survive in. And this was my theory behind Bad Romance when it was crowdfunding, because I was like, women are gonna love my book because it tells the reality or a more twisted dark reality of what a lot of people face. And even though it's quite twisted and it is quite dark, it is, um, it's the truth. And, it, and so what Zoshenko did was he was the most, and I thought, oh my God, it's gonna take off. Everybody's gonna read it because, because, and that's why I was really passionate during crowdfunding thinking, there is a market for this. You're telling me there's no market for this. I promise there is a market for this. That's why I like the short stories, but that's why I like particularly Russian short stories because they tell the reality of life in a, in a kind of, in an imaginative and in a, I hope I kind of put a twist on things and sort of make, I, th- I hope every story has a punchline and I hope every story makes you think slightly differently to when you started reading it and above all makes you think there's no there's nobility in failure to a certain extent because at least you tried and I think my experience as a woman has been consistently trying and trying and failing and failing and there is something brave and brilliant in that. Mm. Um, so that's why I went for the short stories. Tell me about the crowdfunding. When you had this brilliant idea of writing these short stories about the nightmare of dating and of uh, the struggle of, of London life, um, why did you go down the crowdfunding route and what were the advantages and disadvantages of doing that? You had quite a lot of celebrity backers. Yeah, it was am- it was amazing. Um, so, yes, basic- no, basically what happened was I spent about three years trying to get an agent, completely failed. Um, nobody wants the manuscript. I got rejected from just endless, endless rejections. And it was, it was horrible. And then gorgeous, beautiful heroine on her charger, um, Katie Guest, who was the last ever literary editor of um, The Independent on Sunday, who I sort of used to sort of gaze at slightly from afar because I thought she was very cool. She has this sort of mane of like mad red curls and, and she's very, she, she was just very cool, far too cool for me. But um, anyway, she was commissioning editor at Unbound and she and she was, it was wonderful. We met, we met for a cup of tea um, before, before she went to work in Clapham Junction. And she just sat down after very kindly getting me a cup of tea and just said, I, I love it. And I was like, good God. <laughs> like, like nobody has ever said this to me before. Not even my mother. Like I used to have to force my mother to read my short stories. And she wasn't very happy about it. Um, and Katie Guest said she loved it and she loved and she and I, well, you know, how how do you how do you not go down that route when somebody says that they love your work and they were the last ever literary editor of the Independent on Sunday and know what they're talking about? Um, and so yes, and then I really didn't do my research. I didn't realise how bruising it would be and how how tough it would be. It was a tough process because it's basically like. Um, so the theory behind Unbound is that um, they help you prove that you have a market for your book. Mm. And so it's actually a very old principle um, and it's based on Samuel Johnson's first dictionary, um, which was, sorry, not the first, his 
the invention of the whole dictionary, not just the first dictionary. Um, and basically nobody, because this book had never been thought of before, um, he had trouble getting anybody to to get the money together to, to print it. Um, and so he asked people to give him a subscription, basically. And then when the dictionary came out, all their names were printed in the back. So this is the idea. Um, behind Unbound, you kind of, and and then, yeah, and then basically, y they say you should try and do it within 90 days. And I did do it through 90 days, but basically I just, I had to beg everybody I'd ever met in my entire life, including you. <laughs> and like, I ended up, I was, it was, it has been lovely, like some of, some of the consequences have been lovely. Like there was this girl at school who I never spoke to because we were in sixth form and she had been to the public school and I'd been to the state school and, and we there was like this social divide. It was, and so we never, we never spoke at school and she found out about it on Facebook and she bought the book and now we're really good friends. And and so that's been lovely. And, and I did get, yeah, I got, my list of backers is, I'm, you know, I'm very delighted, and it's it's wonderful because I think there were 310, and now there's like 320 something because some people like bought it through Unbound after the 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 page deadline closed. What kind of writer are you? Are you ritualistic? Do you do you have certain snacks, certain drinks? Do you have to write at a particular time of day? What's your process? Uh, I usually have to get drunk, um, or like not actually drunk, drunk. But I have major anxiety when it comes to writing. It's it's terrible. And I remember Elizabeth Day said she used to get up in the morning, she'd go to a cafe, she'd do two thousand words of journalism, and then a thousand words of her novel in the afternoon. I was like, how on earth? How on earth? It's like you know when you see the supermodels and they're all eating hamburgers. You're like, how on earth do you say? How how does one do that? Are you kidding me? Um, I I spend most of my day procrastinating and thinking I'm not I can't write anything. I, then I spend three hours rewriting one sentence because it's bad. Um, the novel that I'm writing now is going pretty exceptionally slowly, almost to the point of going backwards. Um, yeah, I'm a nervous writer, nervous and, and neurotic, and um, I, I'm amazed in a way that I have actually published anything. <laughs> So do you write late at night then? Yes, I do better at night. I do better at night. It's like when everybody else kind of starts to switch off, you know, like a, after a full day, you know, it's six o'clock and you get your meal going and then you're gonna Netflix and chill. Maybe you've got a nice husband and he's got the spaghetti out, red wine. And I'm, no, that's when I, the phone goes on um, airplane mode and I crack open my drink, vodka, if it's particularly bad. And then I sit and I try and, and I know when it's going well because I start laughing. I had this uh, lovely, uh, one of my favorite writers who is actually English rather than Russian um, is Evelyn Moore. And I love Evelyn Moore so much. And uh, he used to, um, he's, there's so many beautiful stories about Evelyn Moore. And he, there was this, he got accused of, after he wrote Vile Bodies, he was accused of um, plagiarism, um, sort of copying someone too specifically in real life, kind of Lottie Crump was obviously, and he, he almost got sued. And he wrote this piece, I think for the Daily Mail, and he said that writing is, 
a question of sorting through the rubbish tip of your own existence and looking for the occasional, you know, glinting little thing that you can, and I thought that was lovely. And also the idea that when he was old, when he got old, he reread Decline and Fall, which is his first book, and I think probably the funniest novel ever written. And he just cackled all the way through. And so I, I hope, I think it's very painful kind of sorting through the rubbish tip of your existence. It's not particularly pleasant. But I do hope that one day, maybe when I'm very old, I will think it's terribly funny um, myself. And, and occasionally I do, and, I, I, and sometimes I think, oh God, I can't possibly print this. Because occasionally I do, or maybe I'm just, I've just struck, there's a limit, you know, you, you need to kind of have a little bit of vodka to the point where you lose your anxiety, but not so much vodka that you sort of start dancing around the living room in your mm. underwear. Um, and occasionally it's happened a couple of times. I think a lot of writers, they want flow and sometimes flow is good, but I like it when I just start laughing. I just start, I think what I've written is so funny. And it's not, it's not that my writing is funny, it's just the idea is so funny. Like an invention of, I've got this, I'm, at the minute I'm writing with my novel, I've created this character who's just, it's funny with characters because I'm like, I, I agree that they're galley slaves, I think Nabokov said that, um, so they do what you want. But I'm enjoying writing this novel because occasionally a little character, this little character's called Penelope. I don't entirely know where she's come from, but she's, got Pen she's called Penelope and she's got a tiny voice. And she goes on all these dates and she, and yeah, there was one little bit and I thought, I just thought it was hilarious. So hopefully somebody will agree at some point. <laughs> so can you tell me more about this second novel that you're, well, this first novel, second book that you're writing? Yes, yes. So, um, so yeah, so I've been, I've been trying to write a novel. <laughs> before and after writing the short stories. Um, I thought, I actually thought it was part of, I thought short stories was something you, you did. Like Ian McEwan, like Ian McEwan wrote short stories and used to be called Ian Macabre because they were so dark. I love him so much. And then he wrote novels. And then so I was like, oh, okay, done the short stories. I'll get on with the novel. But the novel is so hard to write. And I've written about, I've written about three that have completely failed now. I wrote one about which was going to be like Blade Runner told from the from the female androids perspective. That went badly wrong. Um, then I wrote another one about this, which I sent to you, the first part I sent to you. And then I'm working with this new agent now who's very exciting and wonderful and really restoring my hope and faith in, in everything. Um, and he just said, it's written like somebody, it's written like you're taking cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can put okay. that on the cover. Yeah. Um, so abandoned that because uh, yeah, and now, and now the new novel. And I'm told proper writers don't do this. Proper proper writers don't don't write about talk about their work in progress. But it is it is, and I don't know, quite know how this happened. But it is it it does. The main characters are, are, are all women, and they are diarists, which is what we used to be. So yeah, hopefully hopefully I haven't jinxed everything. Luckily the table is wood. Mm, looks like wood. Just going back to Bad Romance, um, I want to ask you about the reviews because they were so positive. Yes. Was were it good. difficult to read reviews and how did it feel when, when you did? Did you feel vindicated? Um, well, the reviews I had were really brilliant, but there, there weren't actually that many. But the ones, 
and and that's good because they were all unanimously nice and maybe they wouldn't have been if there'd been lots more um but yes Hepzibah Anderson I think her name is um she I don't know her but she tiny little paragraph was just, just gorgeous in every way and I'm very grateful to her for liking the book and then Julie Birchall was the big one so Julie Birchall was a heroine of mine when I was starting out I used to read her columns again and again and again and again and again and again and again I thought she was so great um and um never met her at all and then the next thing I know she's reviewed my book and it turns out she's a really big fan of short stories so Grace Paley um another massive influence on me was Saki um and she kind of got that she loves Saki too and so she called me the Saki of sex which is just I'm so grateful to her but in terms of reading that review I had to um I had to like work myself up to it like I didn't read it for about a day and then I did read it and then it was sort of like I, I just you don't even have to read the book just read that review <laughs> so novel aside what's next for you what what are your plans for the rest of 2019 I've got to earn some money <laughs> don't we all don't we all um, and finally, because I know our time is drawing to a close and I'm very sad about that, but finally, if you could give some aspiring authors a piece of advice, just w- the one thing that you've learned along the way, or even your younger self, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Um, there's this quote, I can't remember it exactly, and I can't even remember who said it, but... Um, it's writing as a profession or a discipline where you have to keep proving your talent to those who have don't have any and I think that's really harsh but on really 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 bad days when you have been rejected by everyone and you have absolutely no faith in yourself and don't believe you have any talent whatsoever I think that kind of helps you have to you just have to you have to keep proving your talent and and eventually and it's not true that obviously the people that you're submitting to have no talent of course they do that's that's the kind of bitter kind of thing that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better but it's very easy to look around at other people who are doing everything extremely well and getting ahead and who have ma- and, and a lot of people are picked up due to their massive twitter followings but if you really, 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 really want to write, you have to write and you have to keep going. And so it's very important to try to find something within yourself, whether it's you're insisting that you have talent to yourself, even if no one thinks you do. Um, you just have to keep going. You have to keep going because otherwise you'll get to the end of your life and you won't have done what you wanted to do. Emily, on that note, thank you so much for your time today. You've been truly inspiring. Thank you very much. (laughs) And to everyone listening, Bad Romance is out now, published by Unbound. I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, It made me laugh out loud on the tube reading it. So that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening to The Sunday Salon. Please do share your thoughts about the episode with me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alicezania. That's A-L-I-C-E-A-Z-A-N-I-A. Finally, if you fancy coming along to watch me interview brilliant authors live, I also host a monthly 
live salon at the Ned Hotel in London. For more information, visit alicezaniajarvis.com forward slash Sunday Salon.